You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So it's been an interesting week. I am actually in a hotel room on the side of a highway somewhere in the Midwest, and I've been traveling cross-country since Tuesday. And I mentioned that to you, A, because if you hear some background noise, my apologies. Uh, there are trucks and, and vehicles going by, and sometimes they're louder than others. But I mentioned that to you specifically because um, I was not following the midterm elections to the minute watching the news as I was driving through one of the states on Tuesday. And although I was, I was texting, dictating, uh, as I was driving, you know, hey, what's going on? Is it a red wave or red ripple? I was not surprised when I started hearing that the Republicans were not faring as well as they thought they were going to fare. And I've got my reasons for that, which I'll get into in a few minutes with my guest. But I also wanted to reach out to somebody who, again, not in politics, but observes politics, and somebody who's a communications expert to see what his thoughts were. And so my guest today is Nick Calm. He's the CEO of Reputation Partners, which is an integrated communications firm that provides a full range of PR, marketing, and strategic services to over 600 clients over the years. Um, they do marketing, digital and social media, web design, crisis communications, financial communications, employee and labor relations, as well as sustainability communications. So Nick is an expert in communication strategy. And I wanted to reach out to him on a, quote, nonpartisan level to see what his thoughts were as to why the red wave was really more of a red puddle. So in any case, here's Nick Calm. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Nick Calm, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. How are you? Great, Peter. It's a pleasure to be with you as always. So you're in the state of Illinois. <laughs> yes, and, indeed. And I know we're going to talk generally about the midterm elections. There's one question I was trying to find the answer to last night on the Amendment 1. That, yes. Um, has that been decided yet? No, it's still open. Uh, I don't remember the exact percentage, but I, and again, they needed to have 60% voting in favor of it or 50% plus one ballot that voted in favor of it of all the people voting. It's a little complicated, but they were short. They were short on the first measure. They needed to get 60% in favor, and it was in the upper 50s. I don't know how many of the votes are still outstanding, but it had not cleared yet as of when I looked at it late last night, basically. So correct me if I'm wrong, the Amendment 1 in Illinois was purely to amend the Illinois Constitution to forever outlaw any attempts to make it a right-to-work state. Is that correct? No, I don't think it's so much that. It was more in terms of enshrining in the Constitution public unions' ability to negotiate wages, hours, and other things that may affect employment. And is that last bit that's the part that's got people so concerned, certainly the business community so concerned, because it essentially then enshrines in the Constitution public unions' abilities to negotiate things like cost of li 
how much it costs to live, how much it costs to buy a house, how much groceries cost, other things that have nothing to do with wages and benefits or working conditions. That's the concern. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. So the articles I've seen has just got the right to work provision in there. Yeah. No, no, no. It's much more It's much more on a broadening of the definition of what would be subject to bargaining between public unions and the governments that they negotiate with. Ah, no wonder everybody's all upset. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, because again, as you may or may not know, the teachers union here in Chicago, where I'm sitting, very powerful. They dictate a heck of a lot. They have an opportunity to basically shut down a good part of the city, and they have repeatedly because they have they are so politically powerful. And here in Illinois, it's not even a partisan comment to make it. They have a very, very strong relationship with the Democrats. And obviously, as you saw on election night, the Democrats swept every race just about on a statewide basis and on many local bases as well. So there is a very, very symbiotic relationship between the unions here and the government already, and this just would further solidify it. I believe, and I could be wrong on this, Peter, I believe that they have already taken steps in Illinois to prevent it from becoming a right-to-work state because there was at least one municipality that tried to put in place a right-to-work type provision last year, and the state took steps to shut that down and make it not possible to do so. Interesting. Yeah, your uh, Illinois has kind of become California light. It has, yes. It's a competition for sure. Um, what's interesting too, and I know we're going to talk about this, is you know trying to interpret the election results. But I think one of the very clear conclusions, to me at least, and there's not many very clear conclusions because there's a lot of uh, muddy conclusions to come to here. Um, but one is that I think the blue states are going to get bluer because I think the people who don't think blue and have the financial ability to vote with their feet and their U-Hauls and their moving vans are going to do so because they see what's going on in these blue states and they don't like it and they don't want to be a part of it. They're going to be moving to red states like Florida and Texas and your part of the world there in the southeast, which are more red. And then by vice versa, I imagine, in fact, I've seen some of my friends who are more of the blue persuasion living in places like Florida saying, I think I got to get out. So I think you're going to see even more polarization and even more one-party rule in the years to come because the people who can are going to vote with their feet. Yeah, I it, well, and I'm one of those people. You know, I left a blue state 10, 12 years ago in part because of that, but also the weather. Um, so that kind of gets us into the uh, the general um, midterm elections and the outcome and the red wave that was really more of a red puddle yeah and and so i i thought maybe we could have a conversation kind of from the thirty thousand foot level i know you and i have political proclivities um but i was thinking maybe we could look at it from a a non-personally biased position sure yeah i've done that before and i'm i can do that again i'm quite capable of doing that as well so so what do you think happened? All the pollsters and pundits and everybody was going to say, oh, this is a big red wave that was coming and the Democrats were afraid and, you know, and come election night, it just didn't happen. There's still, as of today, there's th- still three Senate seats that are undetermined. Yep. The House has not been called because the whichever party needs 218 seats. And I think the Republicans are at 210 and... And the Dems are at 
I want to say is 186. Yeah, one, yeah, upper 180s is what I saw, something like that. So what happened? I think, yeah, I mean, again, I think one of the things, and I, you know, I'm, I'm my firm, I run a communications firm, and it has a lot of younger employees in it, and I've been, without getting into political discussions, just sort of asking, hey, what do you think happened? And there have been a few folks who have identified this as well. You know, one of, the, one of my colleagues who I was actually talking to this morning is, you know, in his, in his early 30s, he said, look, Nobody, what happened, Nick, is nobody who's my age or even, you know, five years older than me, if they see a phone call on their cell phone, first of all, they don't have landlines, number one, and if they see a phone call on their cell phone that they don't recognize, they don't answer it. So these pollsters right. that are sitting there and saying, okay, well, here it is, and it's 0.6 advantage for this or 1.2 for that, they have a skewed result. They are, they are only dealing with a subset of the electorate. I think that's one thing that happened. I think the pollsters and the pundits missed the whole younger, and they just they, they got stuck with this sort of tired view that young people don't vote and it's only older people who do. That's not true, number one. Number two is I think the whole... Um, Dobbs decision specifically, and even though that looked like it flared up in terms of being an issue and then went down and was eclipsed by inflation, the economy, and crime, the whole abortion issue became, I think, a lightning rod and a galvanizing force for a significant portion of the electorate that motivated them to go to the polls. Because, right, if not for those things, you would sit there and you'd see the studies, the studies that show that 75% of the people in this country think the country's on the wrong track not supporting what's going on. They don't like it. And then they go out and they vote overwhelmingly for incumbents. Wait, what? It just doesn't compute, right? It, if I'm unhappy with the way the direction my city, my state, my country is going, I'm not gonna, I'm not inclined to go out there and go, you know, Senator Hassan Pfeffer is doing a great job. Let's give him six more years. Or Congressperson, you know, Jones is doing a great job. Let's reelect her. But that's what happened. And again, I think there was enough... Um, uh, variables that came into play here along the lines of what I was talking about, the pollsters missing huge swaths of the electorate, overplaying, then underplaying the abortion decision and what that meant. I think that was a big factor as well. And then look, the other thing to keep in mind is you look at surveys and the approve, disapprove for Democrats and Republicans is almost identical. People don't like right. either party. So you've got this huge swath of people who don't have the kind of political proclivities that you and I do or folks on the other side of the spectrum do. You've got all these people in the middle. They're just trying to live their lives. They're turning on the TV. They're seeing these ads. They're hearing this person's bad. They're hearing that person's bad, inundated with ads all the time. They don't even start to think about voting until maybe a week before the election. And then who knows what swayed them? Are they then, did they just run into a friend who had to go out of state for an abortion? Or do they fill up their gas tank and they realize that, you know, gas is now whatever it is in their part of the neck of the woods, $3.50, $4 a gallon, or like you, without uh, outing you too much here, Peter, I think you drive a diesel vehicle, and are we going to run out of diesel fuel in 20 right. days or something, right. right? So it's like, what are those factors that are happening? So there's just so much here that's just variable, and people are just generally, I think, fed up with and have no faith in their political leaders, regardless of their political persuasion. Now, the one anomaly to that, obviously, is um, DeSantis in Florida. Right. So he obviously super outperformed, did more to kind of elevate his political standing at the expense of Donald Trump for the 2024 election than anybody else brought Rubio along with him. Right. Because Rubio was only seen as yeah, he, was, be, um, he was supposed to have a tough race. Right. And he did and then he, well. No, but not quite as well as uh, DeSantis did. But right. 
you know, again, and, you know, you hear all these pundits and that's why, you know, I really take it when I was looking on Twitter that, you know, 630 at night uh, of election night and people are like, oh, red, red wave and red tsunami and all that. I'm like, anybody who's telling you at 630 central time what they know what's going to happen tonight is an idiot because they're wrong. I put I posted that at like 634 p.m. election night and look how true it turned out to be. Because, you know, who knows? And then with the whole process that the country takes to count elections. Hello, Maricopa County. I'm looking at right, you. Right. You know, it's like, you know, why, why is this so hard? And again, it's almost impossible to look at this stuff and not conclude that there aren't some shenanigans somewhere. That's the thing. And now here I'm going to sound like a crazy person for all your listeners. But I mean, I'm not a big believer in coincidences. I'm really not. I think obviously they happen. But how many different races then ended up? We know out of millions of votes cast, and they're a thousand votes apart. Again, multiple races, multiple states. Can there be that many coincidences? Maybe. I guess it's possible. Yeah. But I think if you're a skeptical person, which I am by nature, I'm going. That seems fishy to me. That seems odd to me. I don't know what it is. Is it machines? Is it local people? Is it what? Whatever it is. But the way we do elections here. Can you imagine if we did things like? Um, airline travel, the way we count votes or, uh, you know, infrastructure or any other kind of high tech thing we do. I mean, it's like we count votes more poorly than they do in Brazil. Brazil, well, they yeah, were able to count all of their votes in one. No, but even these other states, the fact, as you were just saying a couple of minutes ago, you know, we don't know who's going to control the Senate. And again, some of that is because of the runoff that's going to happen between uh, uh, Warnock and uh, and Walker in in a month or so. Um, some of it is the, but I mean, how do we not know these things? How? And I get it's left to the states, but why would the states leave it to be so open to shenanigans, especially after all of the questioning slash conspiracy theories about the last election? Well, Arizona being one that they just had this problem two years ago in 2020, and interestingly enough and why this wasn't brought out or talked about more you know the one gubernatorial candidate happens to also be the secretary of state in charge <laughs> yeah. of the elections right and still can't get it right it's like you had one job right i know <laughs> regardless of whether you're running for higher office you have just one job to do yeah yeah i mean these things are broken because somebody wants them to be broken so right. again it's the old what is the latin Qui benefits, right? Or whoever benefits, who benefits? Who benefits from our election processes being broken? Somebody obviously does. Yeah. Right. Well, so. it under it undermines, regardless of whether you think the election was stolen in 2020 or not. But it, it the just the doubt undermines the political process, or at and least the I think democratic it, and, process. And it deters people from voting, even though I know the numbers right. were up, and I think they were, I haven't seen the final numbers yet, but it looks like it's up towards almost presidential level. A lot of people came out of the woodwork and were voting 40 some odd percent, which is about as good as we get. High 40s is what we get in presidential elections, I know. So more people came out and voted, but you can't tell me that it doesn't deter people from voting. If oh, they yeah. believe there's going to be shenanigans or questions, and how are there not, how do you not have reasonable people conclude there are shenanigans if you're going to be told you got to wait a week, two weeks, three weeks for the results to be in? I'm like, wait, what? How? I mean, think about what this country is able to accomplish on a day to day basis, and we can't count votes, and Brazil can, and France can, and, you know, I mean, really? Yeah. It's so, a sad day. It is. At least but, in regards to, you know, <laughs> where we should be as a, quote, first world country. 
Right. But you were talking earlier about unions and getting out the vote and so forth. And it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, watching this as I have, I know the Republicans have done a very good job of trying to register additional folks. They did a particularly good job in Florida. But, you know, you really think about what the get out the vote effort and who boots on the ground and people at a local level getting Bob and Sally and Tyrone and, you know, Jesus and getting all these folks to go and vote, you know, again, just getting them to vote. Forget even the other stuff, again, ballot harvesting and drop boxes and the 2,000 mules and all of that. Setting all of that aside, just legitimate getting people to the ballot to vote and encouraging them to vote in a certain way. I mean, that is something that the Democrats have done. You were talking about that, I think, before we started recording. They've done that extremely well for a long period of time, and they've only gotten better. And I think the Republicans, to some degree, are playing catch up. And then if you add to that the factor that I talked about earlier about the no landlines and people not answering their cell phones, that's how we could end up being as surprised as we were with what happened on Tuesday night. Yeah. I actually, uh, before we got on, as a friend on Twitter said, does anyone have an explanation for the polling failures? And I laid out six things. And one of them was the pollsters in the GOP still don't understand the left's or the union's GOTV get out Mm -hmm. the vote efforts. Right. The right essentially has no ground game. Yeah. And unlike the left, there's no organizational structures. For example, the Tea Party's 10, 12 years ago and were a wave machine on the right. Right. Four, abortion was a driver that I don't think people saw, which you just mentioned. Yeah. And then then last but not least, um, and whether people want to admit this or not, I think Trump has become toxic in a lot of areas. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Look, I, I look. I, you know, watching and and being on Twitter the weekend before, you know, and the whole rumor, which again didn't come out of nowhere. Somebody planted this to basically say he might announce he's running for president. And I turned to my wife at that time and I said, if he does, there will be absolutely no convincing me or anyone else that he isn't trying to sabotage the Republican Party, because if he had announced he was running on the Friday before the election, it would have been a huge motivator. But what I didn't take into account then is just the rumor of that turned out to be at his presence at these rallies in these key states. Yes, he was doing it to support the candidates he endorsed, didn't work out terribly well with a couple of exceptions, is that ended up being a, he is such catnip to Democrats and so, uh, and the media, so that they, knowing that they would be voting against him, even if he's not on the ballot, I think motivated a lot of people to, to vote as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw this morning that Kaylee McEnany, his former press secretary, has basically come out and said he should not announce next week, as he's basically signaled that he will. He should not announce in any way before the runoff in Georgia, because just like before, which is how we ended up with um, Warnock and the other guy, um, uh, Orloff, that's he caused that. He caused that. Even if you're a big Trump fan, there's no question that he caused those guys to win and the Republicans to lose because he suppressed the vote then. So, yes, I think and that's in in certain respects, I think that's makes it more interesting here with DeSantis's showing, because clearly they are the two main rivals, at least at this point in time, for the Republican nomination. But there was an op ed in the journal today that basically says if um, if Trump announces the election's over. Democrats will win. 
in 2024. And it won't be Biden that Trump will be running against. It'll be somebody else. But whoever it is, if he announces, I mean, I think that's a little bit hyperbolic. I don't think him announcing means he's got the nomination the same way it would before. I think people, there's a lot of folks and a lot of money that's now Ken Griffin and others shifting from Trump to DeSantis because he's seen as a much more viable alternative. You know, the the thing about Trump, um, and I've got to be somewhat sensitive how I say this, but, <laughs> you know, you and I do campaigns, not political campaigns. Yeah, right. Um, but workplace campaigns. Yeah, yep. And, you know, people will vote against their own economic interests if their boss is toxic, right? Totally. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, or they look at unionization because of bad managers, not necessarily because they have a problem with their wages or benefits. It's the Totally, it's absolutely. The, and so you've got an individual, like him or not, you know, he is viewed by many to be very toxic. Yep. And those are folks that, regardless of their own economic interests, would probably vote against him. Yeah. And that includes well, that's, yeah. people on the right. Totally. Well, that's the thing. I mean, look, Democrats obviously hate, 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 hate. He could do, he could do something that is a complete Democratic uh, policy imperative, and they would still hate him. Okay? On the other extreme, you've got folks on the right, Republicans. Even there, that group that is so sort of enthralled by him, that has, I think, steadily shrunk. I think a lot of folks that I've talked to that are on that end of the political spectrum credit him for doing a lot of good things as president, for sure. Few questionable things, but a lot of good things. And listen, I don't think you could have a Ron DeSantis or a Carrie Lake if you didn't have a Donald Trump as a precursor to them. I really don't. I think he paved the way for somebody who punches back, who doesn't take any crap, and who basically right. stands up for themselves. And that's certainly been DeSantis, and he's done that extremely well. It's, it describes Carrie Lake and, and some other candidates to some degree as well. So he, there's been a role that he's played, but there's this growing sense that I'm getting, and I hope this is true as well, that he, even if he does decide to run, it won't, he won't get the nomination. I, I don't believe he will. Again, big part of that is going to be whether DeSantis runs. And if you listen to his acceptance speech, he sure sounds like somebody who's running for president. And I'm, you know, just thinking about him as well. I mean, the ego is definitely growing as well. It wasn't small to begin with. It's gotten significantly bigger. I mean, if the whole, you look at what happened in the whole country, there's one unquestionable, undeniable bright spot for the Republicans. It's Florida, and it's specifically Ron DeSantis. So yeah, that's he, that's the red. He was puddle. he was yeah he was <laughs> he was feeling his oats in his election uh, speech. A lot of eyes, and again, the other thing too was I don't know if you saw the video, the closing video where it was basically a play on the Paul Harvey, uh, uh, you know, God made a farmer ad from years and years ago. If you haven't seen that, you should see it. And even if you are or you know somebody who's a huge DeSantis fan. You watch that and you just cringe. It's like, oh, oh, the ego is too much. Have you seen that or no? No, no. Oh, I've been driving gotta, for the last few days. Oh, so. you gotta, you gotta look at that. You gotta look at that, and you just go, oh, that. Talk about an unforced error. That, I mean, you know, if that could run, and 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 his wife tweeted it out, I believe as well. But yeah, the, you know, just Google uh, and anybody else who's out there listening to this, uh, Google Ron DeSantis, uh, Paul Harvey commercial, and it's just. It's just it's it, you, it makes you cringe. It really does. Like just some of the stuff that Trump would say and do that would just make you go, oh, does he really have to mock disabled people? Does he have to do this? Does he have to do that? Right. And apparently he does. And, you know, speaking about people voting against their own self-interest, I think Trump running again is going against his own self-interest. How many times do you want to lose an election 
How many elections do you want to have blamed on you that don't go the party mantle that you're wearing's way? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's unfortunate because uh, many of his policies were good, and for both the left and the right, it's yeah. just the personality is too much. But and even there though, but DeSantis isn't. I mean, the, the DeSantis personality, the Carrie Lake personality. I think you know she certainly just continues to talk as if she's going to win if Maricopa County ever releases those last ballots. But their personalities aren't that different. They really aren't. I mean, there. But there's a at least a perceived rationality that exists with uh, DeSantis and Lake that doesn't seem to exist with Trump. I think there's a difference in, and I have not watched them that much, and I don't watch television news. Um, in fact, I don't watch network TV at all. It's usually Netflix <laughs> or whatever. But um, so I've I've been immune to all the ads and the attack ads, and but I have not seen anything where they go after people personally. Mm. The ad hominem attacks. Right. They and, don't. And no, they don't. Yeah. I mean, the closest you'd see is when DeSantis talked about Charlie Crist. The only, don you know, they was like, okay, DeSantis, you're going to run for governor, and then you're immediately going to run for president. And his response was very good, which was basically to say, the only old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Crist. That's as yeah. close as he yeah. gets. And again, that's, I mean, that, that's fine. I mean, that's, but you're right. It's not ad hominem personal attacks. What's interesting is they are on the receiving end of them. And they do a very good job of parrying and responding. There was a little clip, right. and I, I posted it somewhere, I think, maybe on Facebook. Yeah, where it's Carrie Lake basically getting a question about somebody who's uh, the mother of somebody who died blaming Carrie Lake specifically for the death of her son. And how she handled that question, and as you know, I do a lot of like media training and preparing spokespeople to deal with stuff. Again, forget your politics, whether you love Carrie Lake or hate her. What she did in basically about a 30-second, she basically avoids the gotcha question, shows empathy, pivots to a story that she wants to tell, and then goes with her closing message. It was magnificent. It's one of the most impressive, and exam, you know, again, she was on TV news for the longest time, but that's just reading a teleprompter to a large yeah. degree. Right. So, so um, I don't know if you've seen or not, but the, you know, the AFL-CIO put out a thank you video um, AFL-CIO Schuler came out with a statement yesterday. One of the one of the things she has in her statement is that this year's AFL-CIO political organizing program was unlike any in history. Meaning they had more boots on the ground, and they had this video that was you know thanking all their supporters and yeah and union folks. It's um, I and I don't know that it's going to be reported for another few weeks at all. But I I think and this is you know. Again, where the pollsters get it wrong is they the right does not understand the ground game. Yep. And they're still running, I don't know, say 1980s campaigns, or they just don't have the infrastructure. No, you're right. You're and, absolutely right. And everybody, it seems as though, and again, I, you know, I get you all my news per se via internet and running a news website and stuff, but it seems as though that the Republican candidates were pretty much every man for himself or every woman for herself. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, they have the NRCC and the, I remember the senatorial one, NRSC, mm -hmm. um, you know, but other than that, they're, they're just putting ads out. Yeah, no, and look, I may and, be and, wrong, and, but no, I just, no, but I think you're right. And I, I, again, I think, you know, again, this is what I do for a living. I think it's a failure of the messaging as well, too. So you can argue and 
I have and others have, that it's a mistake for Democrats to say that if you vote for a Republican, you're voting for a threat to democracy. But the fact is, with low information voters, that kind of thing works. And what is the the Republican message specifically? We have not, we, the Republican Party, has not done a good job of basically saying, listen, the reason you're paying $4 at the pump for gas is very simple. Do not believe when Joe Biden says it's gas stations or gas, you know, ExxonMobil with record profits, okay? They're, that's a byproduct of the policies. You shut down refining capacity, you stop exploration, it's going to drive up prices. That's supply and demand. Republicans did not do a good job of doing that. Republicans did not do a good job of saying and getting it to stick, you pump a trillion dollars into the economy, guess what? You're going to have inflation. I think that's over most voters' heads. I know, but that's part of the problem. We, they, they need to find a way to get that, because the failure of that is how you ended up with, as you put it, the red puddle or the, you know, the red droplets or whatever it is, rather than a red wave or a red tsunami. Because people were and are, they keep saying they're fed up with inflation, the economy, and crime. And again, there's enough things that Republicans could point to that are as a specific result of Democrats' policies but yet Democrats outperformed by any measure everywhere but Florida on election night despite that. So, so going back to kind of what we do with regard to campaigns. Yeah. Um, yep. And again, I was not watching like the ads one way or the other at all during the, the build up to the midterms. I did not see at least what I was viewing online as messages, positive messaging. So every campaign, you always want to bash your opponent, right? Or bash yep. the policies or whatever. You know, these guys did this, you know, they're bad, vote for me. Right. But unless you lay out a vision for the future and oh, a positive yeah. vision, you don't have a positive campaign, the scare tactics, the, you know, negative campaigning and stuff, yes, it's effective, but I, I did not see anything coming out of the GOP on a positive part right? a positive message like or on the democrats either the democrats were their main their main message was those guys are going to take away your abortions right that was their main message that's not a positive message so being that i'm on the road while i'm in a hotel um i did see yesterday i think i don't remember if it was cnn or fox or whatever is on the tv as i always leave the tv on in the background just working i saw jim messina former obama communications director mm -hmm. stating that in 2024 if he were running the campaign he would be all over using abortion and you can't elect whoever whether it's DeSantis, trump or whomever because they're going to take away your abortion rights yeah he'd absolutely be using that yeah so that's, i mean that's going to yeah. be the 2024 mantra too and no so, and it's 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 an impossible trap for the republicans it really is it really is. I think the only thing that they can do that would help them stay out of it is to say something like, I'm personally opposed to abortion. I really think it's a tragedy, but I am pledging now. I am not going to do anything legislatively or from a policy standpoint to try to restrict it in any way. That's the only way out of it. Meanwhile, though, what state after state is doing the same way Illinois, like where I am, enshrining the right to an abortion in the state constitution or trying to do so. And then all of these other states, the more red states, which are, you know, they had the trigger laws that were 
uh, tied to the Dobbs decision and Roe versus Wade going away. Back to what I said at the very beginning of this podcast, you're going to see much more polarization and much more of that. The Republicans continuing to try to push that through is going to continue to be an albatross around their neck because what I think was a complete miscalculation by the pro-life community was how enshrined in daily life the ability to have that essentially as an option for women who find themselves with unwanted pregnancies. And the idea that that would be taken away and the ability by the Democrats and by independents as well to see that as being inextricably intertwined with women's rights is one that's impossible, I think, for Republicans to overcome other than the way I talked about and stop passing these laws that basically ban it, especially since if you live like if you're in Indiana, which has one of those laws and you know, about 20 minutes drive that way is Indiana. So somebody who's in Indiana can drive over to Illinois and get an abortion, or you can get a mail order uh, abortion uh, medication to, to trigger it as well. It's a loser for the Republicans. It is absolutely a loser of an issue. And the only way to get out from under it is to do something like what I said a moment ago. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've, and I've had this conversation for well, at least since 2008, maybe, um, there is a whole swath of, I guess you'd call them Republicans. They're fiscal conservative. I have these conversations with business leaders as well as, um, you know, management side attorneys, friends, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm fiscally conservative, but the Republicans have gone way over the top. And it's as though, you know, just let us run our business and stay out of our bedrooms and our, you know, it's it's this hardcore right that has really um, turned off some people in the middle. Whereas, you know, if you have candidates, whether it's a, a presidential, more more likely your congressional ones, where they could at least moderate a little bit, yeah, probably win a lot more independence. Yeah, no, because I mean, most of the country is not hardcore partisan on one end or the other. Like I said earlier, most of them are just. I got a family, I got a job, I got responsibilities. Yes, I need to think about politics every now and again, but I don't, I'm not generally consumed by them one way or the other. That's most of the country. And most of the country is not, you know, abortion on demand to the point of delivery and, you know, and 100% no abortions, even in rape and incest. Most people are not in either of those camps. Right. Well, so it, it was interesting because I got a text on Tuesday night and I was driving. Yeah, I was probably on the road for about 14 hours. And Oof. the text was a, a friend in Texas who said, you'll be happy to know I voted against Beto the Pendejo. And, <laughs> and, but I held my nose voting for Abbott. Yeah. Because of the, you know, he's gone so far to the right. And so I, I talked to him. I said, anonymously, let me clarify or ask for clarification of your statement. And it was basically, it was back to the abortion issue it's like yeah they've just gone so far over here that you know it turns off a lot of people yeah i couldn't couldn't vote for beto because he's an idiot but you know <laughs> trying yeah. to stay nonpartisan. i'm just kind of relaying this well, conversation know, but... because it's I, it's affecting a lot of people well there was a lot of ticket splitting as well too that's part of yeah. it too was going on but for sure no the the social issues look i mean again even if you come at it from a more conservative point of view you know, the culture wars, right? I mean, you know, they, they, the, the right has lost. You know, it's like the score is about 832 to 2. 
right? I mean, that's where the country has shifted to a large degree. There is no way to win those things. Now, that does that mean that if you are a parent of a small child, you want your small child to go to a, a drag show or a strip club or, you know, some of the books that they're finding in the school libraries and stuff? No, but, you know, beyond just those kind of those handful of examples, um, you know, that th those just do not inure to Republicans benefits to engage in those in any way. They well, really don't. On those issues, that's where the left is losing the culture war, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, it's interesting because I think uh, so I lean a little bit more libertarian. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, I don't really care about gay marriage. I don't really, you know, I'm not a I, I wouldn't say I'm, quote, the hardcore pro-choice, but I'm not necessarily hardcore pro-life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, like, it's never been a deal, a big deal to me. Yeah. yeah but it's a huge deal to other people, and I totally I get that. And, yeah. you know, gay marriage, I totally get that. I don't know that the government should be involved in marriage, period. Right. You know, it's like, how did we get to this point where it's like, you know, being But it's legislated. settled. That's the thing. It's settled, right? So forget whether you are pro-gay marriage, anti-gay marriage. The Supreme Court has ruled on it. Okay, well, and again, I know they, they can go back. I know they can go back yeah, and they can stops. overturn precedent. No, but, right. But, I mean, in terms of society, but, they, but again, gay marriage, yeah, I guess you could say that it's not in the Constitution either, which a right to an abortion wasn't. But, you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they weren't thinking about enshrining those things in the Constitution. Right. So, which is, you know, the Dobbs decision. If you actually, if you dig into the, some of the, even the pro-abortion attorneys you know, who wrote way back when Roe v. Wade was bad law. Yeah, absolutely. So. And even, even the dissent on Dobbs was, I mean, what are you going to say? You can't sit there and point to, well, wait a minute, you're overturning this constitutional provision or that they didn't exist. Right. But I think what we've learned now, and again, this is maybe the, the be careful what you wish for kind of argument is I get the concern about gay marriage being overturned. And it would be, if we think that the Dobbs decision has sort of upended society. Can you imagine what it would do to society to invalidate however many now hundreds of thousands, millions of gay marriages have occurred because since the uh, gay marriage decision from the Supreme Court? It would be insane. But that's again, I say it would be insane. But could it happen? Yeah, I, it's certain. The same way Dobbs could happen, that could happen too. It would be crazy and bad. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a third rail there that you could take, and that would be just get the government the hell out of marriage. Right. Like, you know, if if two gay people want to marry, cool. You know, let them marry. Contractual relationship, just like mm -hmm. two heterosexual people. And, right. you know, and now the flip side to that is you also cannot force churches who do not believe in it to marry. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's an easy one. Yeah. You know. So yeah. Get the tax code straight so it doesn't discriminate one way or the other. Yeah. So easy for you to say, Peter, and look at how hard it is for our government to do anything. Well, I was listening to a debate on it yesterday, and I was just <laughs> like, you're both wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, it is crazy. But anyway, so I, I guess, so what it comes down to is the pollsters were wrong due to the fact that nobody, no Gen Zers and millennials pick up unwanted right. calls on their cell phone. Uh, the abortion issue was a bigger issue than most people saw. Yep. The ground game for the GOP sucks. Yep. Um, 
Despite people being fed up, they voted voted for incumbents in overwhelming numbers. (laughs) They're so upset with the way things are going. Let's vote for that guy or gal again. Huh? What? Uh, But anyway, that is what happened. I mean, because it shows you the power of incumbency. It shows you the power of uh, redistricting and gerrymandering, too, for sure, because there were very, very few. Think about it. There were 435 uh, Congress people who were up for election, and there were what? 30, 40, 50 competitive seats out of that, not even 20%, because so many of them were like, oh, this is going to be a Republican seat forever. This is going to be a Democrat seat forever. So there weren't even all that many that were up for grabs in the first place. Right. Because the numbers are so overwhelming. I mean. Yeah, there's one race in Texas where um, I want to say that the young, well, I don't know how young she is, but um, young lady won a, a, the Texas special election? State. Yes, Maya yeah. Flores. Does that yeah, sound yeah, correct? yeah. And then, and then she, she lost. Just yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't follow that at all. It's just she, you know, she got in unexpectedly as a Republican, and then it just flipped back to Democrat. But I don't know what. But back what to your get out the vote that. thing, though. This is interesting. The Republicans too. So there's been a migration. More. It's still not huge, but more and more uh, African Americans and Latinos are supporting Republican policies. But that's great, but did you get them out to vote? Did they vote? It'll be very interesting to look at the numbers of actual votes cast and whether that happened or not, true. And then there's the Trump factor, as we talked about earlier. But it's interesting now, though, too, right? The House is almost certainly going to become under Republican control. What happens then? Are we going to go into investigations? Are they going to be basically going after Biden? I think one thing that the underperforming of the Republicans have done is it further solidified that unless Biden has some physical or cognitive event that becomes insurmountable, he's going to run again, and he's going to be the presumptive nominee for 2024. What does that mean, then, in terms of that election? Does he stick with Kamala Harris as his running mate? Who's the Republican? It's The, the fact that this is the result is so unexpected, it's shaken up what otherwise would have happened. There would have been the course correction that the White House would have done if there had been a shellacking like there was under Bush or whatever the, uh, the thumping, whatever. I know Bush said shellacking and Obama said thumping or the other way around, but that's not happening. And basically the Biden administration is doubling down on their policies. What does that mean in terms of 2020-24 with the House flipping to Republican control and maybe the Senate as well? Although I, I think it's more likely to net out as basically status quo ante where it's uh, the, you know, the 50-50 and Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker and the Democrats control it. So he'll still be able to appoint judges. They'll still do all of the stuff that they're doing right. you know, from the executive branch with the NLRB and the Department of Labor and all of the other executive branch uh, activities that are under the administration's control. But it'll be interesting to see what the House does. But the thing that is absolutely, I think, true that a lot of people have seen you know, Republicans, they may struggle with getting out the vote. They also struggle with governing. That's not something they're really good at. And if they were good at that and messaging, we might be in a different situation than we are. But you're going to see, I mean, think back to the all the hearings they did and how many times they passed Obamacare repeal with no viable alternative, how they dragged Hillary Clinton in front of these uh, the Benghazi uh, hearings. To, to what? Did that help Republicans? No. Did that particularly hurt Hillary? No. So. Well, and you listen to McCarthy, and that's what they're planning on doing in the House. Well, because he's got he's got that faction within the Republicans that are determined to do that. Right. It's like, does that help you voting against your own interest, doing things that are against your own interest? 
Trump running is against his own interest. The Republicans doing that is against their own interest. Figure out what did you fail from a get out the vote standpoint? How can you improve your messaging? How can you make sure you have the best possible candidates? And they have improved. The Republicans have nominated for various congressional offices more women, more younger employees, more Latinos, more African Americans than they have in the past. You got to give them credit for that. But the get out the vote thing is a big pace where they still are way behind and stuck in the 80s, as you said, and some of their, you know, candidates that are easily pointed by the Democrats and their media partners is extreme, even though a lot of people view what the Democrats are doing as extreme, too. Yeah. One of the on the messaging point, I think one of the things that and I alluded to it a little while ago, I think that their message on their messaging, what they're missing is that, OK, you stand against this. You know, I get what you stand against, but what you what do you stand for? And the yeah. Democrats are very good at telling people what the Republicans stand for. Yes, well, they're racist. They're that's it. You're business. making my point from a few minutes ago. That's right. exactly it from a messaging standpoint. And what you said, too, which is that they're not good at articulating a positive message. They're not. And look, the other piece of it clearly, I mean, again, I, I have to take my hat off to him, even though he got vilified and it probably helped cost him the election. You know, when Mitt Romney said when 47% of the people, and I think the number's even higher, don't pay any taxes whatsoever, how do you get them to buy off on the idea of we need to tighten our belts? You don't. Right, right. You really don't. I mean, that's the challenge. And that's, that is a now permanent challenge that the Republicans have. And they've, to some degree, they've addressed that by kind of going along with the big spending and everything else. It's not like the Republicans are, when's the last time you found a Republican talking about we need to balance the budget? You got to go back a ways. They aren't even talking about that. So we're spending trillions we don't have, passing it on to our children and our grandchildren. And you've got nobody standing up and speaking about that. Nobody. Which is in part cause, causing inflation. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's not just a Democrat problem, for sure. Republicans have signed off on some of the relief bills that were passed, for sure. And look, there's no question that some of them were absolutely necessary. Now, everybody likes to point at the PPP program as being so problematic. That that program saved millions of jobs, for sure. But the idea of turning off the spigot in Washington once it's been turned on, <laughs> that's something nobody over there is real good at doing. Right. Well... This has been enlightening, I guess, or <laughs> hate to say that we don't have much optimism here, but I figured yeah. <laughs> what the heck, it'd be fun to do some analysis. And yeah. I, I, thankfully, I was, I was literally driving, you know, cross country. So I was not watching, listening to any of this, the returns. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I would get a text here and there, <laughs> red, red ripple or red wave. Yeah. Yeah, and then puddle, one of them was puddle, barely a ripple. Yeah, yeah, it was like crazy, interesting, crazy. So, yeah, and you know, Ed, you kind of alluded to this. Um, even if it was a red wave, nothing's really going to change in terms of DOL, NLRB stuff like oh, that. No. So midterm elections are not that big of a deal to those of us in the business world, maybe. Right, but it's just a matter of like gumming up the works. Yeah, exactly. So it's you know. The state, the state elections are important, but oh yeah, for sure. Washington is Washington. Yep. In any case, well, Nick Calm, thank you for coming on two days after the red puddle. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Yeah, when you invited me to do this, I'm like, I gotta, I've gotta share what I think happened. I'm like, I'm not sure what happened. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I I attribute a lot of it to the getting getting out the vote efforts. I I mentioned oh, before yeah. we started the record button. I had sent an article out to Arizona as my parents are out there, and you know, here's what's going on. Unite here, the union had put in organizers in Arizona. Well, organizers, volunteers, members, et cetera, to do get out the vote. And I'm going back at least a couple months ago, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. And you can tell it, it had its impact. The SEIU, same thing. I don't know about the same exact states. I know they're in Arizona, but you know, they, they do a very good job of getting people on the ground and people on the right have never understood that unions are campaigning all the time. Right. Not just get, not just elections and get out the vote, but they're campaigning with their members year round because I used to do it, you know, putting in the, See, I don't think people know that though. Peter, I think you could get 50 political operatives in a room and ask them that question. I mean, like operatives from maybe not, I mean, Democrats probably get it, but you could take Republican operatives in the room and ask them, you know, talk about what do unions do from a campaigning standpoint, not just, you know, campaigning for union organization, organizing, but campaigning on political issues. Do they do that around the elections or all year long? I would bet you money that the vast majority of them would say, oh, around elections. No, it's year round. I, mean, we're I know, but, they, back but people don't 80s. get that, though. But Peter, right. I don't think people get that. No, I know. Well, you should write about with that. your membership. You should write about that. Again. I have. They don't pay attention. <laughs> I have read what? it. What? Everybody pays attention to you. Everybody <laughs> hangs on your every word. Are you kidding? It's so. you know, it's the membership newsletters. It's the tech, uh, the the texting now. It's the Twitter. It's you know, hey, these policies are bad. You know, you need to support these policies instead. We're going to fight for these policies. And then when it comes election time, you got your candidates. These guys support these policies. Peter, you know what you need to do, seriously? You need to, again, you will not like this idea because I, I know you don't like the personal attention, but you should write an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal about that and submit it. You really should. Yeah, I could. So that'd be, again, I think that would be, people don't get that. I mean, a lot of what we've talked about, somebody else has said probably five or 10 times. I don't think any, I've not seen that. I think that would be a really good thing to. I'll write say. it if you can get it in there. <laughs> Fair deal. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you. I've got to hit the highway another yep. nine hours today. Oh, God. To do a podcast and drive for nine hours, you're a better man than I. Well, I'm going to edit this and post it before before I hit the road. So, All right. Very All good. Right. Thanks for the opportunity. Great to All see right. you, man. Be well. Good Safe travel. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Nick Calm with Reputation Partners giving his assessment of the midterm elections, red ripple, red puddle, whatever it was, um, and some of the causal factors as to why the GOP did not perform as well as they thought they would. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. As you heard, uh, I've got about a nine-hour drive ahead of me, and I'm going to post this. If you want to reach out, reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Leave a message in the comment section under the audio portion of this episode or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Radio.
Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.